you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I really couldn't help but think when Robert told us that if we're not singing to be looking at the words, like what else would we be doing? <laughs> I guess getting on your phone, checking email, you know, just <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this reminds me back when I was a teenager, I thought stuff like that, and sometimes I regress, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, as always, we are grateful for your word. And Father, we ask now that you will guide our thinking, that you will help our understanding, that, Father, again, it would be our desire to conform our life to your word and what it says. Father, we know that that would bring us the greatest joy, it would be the greatest thing for us to live in wisdom. And so, Father, we ask that you would enable us to do so. We do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 16. Paul says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. For the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. As I was thinking about this passage, because this passage does not necessarily strike us as being real spiritual. I mean, Paul continues this discussion about this money that they're taking up and how they're going to handle this money and then get it to the church in Jerusalem. And it's just kind of filled with, this, well, this is how we're going to do things, and this is what's going to happen, and this guy's going to do it, and this guy's going to do it, and, you know, this is why we're doing this. And so, you know, make sure you give. Uh, it's, it's more than just that. And I, I think what we need to think about is this, is that when it comes to being spiritual, you know, a lot of times we think about, you know, well, you know, when you're being spiritual, that means you're praying, or you're in an attitude of prayer, and, you know, we're thinking about the Lord and the Bible, and, you know, we're very somber, we're very serious, and all those things are true. But, you know, there's a lot of aspects of spirituality that's just really just plain practical. It's, it's not, there's no real emotion to it. There's, just, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And you just kind of act and behave in a particular way. And so it's not this, not that we're thinking that it's some kind of a mystical thing and when you walk, you're moving on a cloud. It's not that. But we can be, we are to be really spiritual. We are to be biblical Christians all the time. But that, that, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily doing something su su supposedly or necessarily religious the whole time, right? Because it really encompasses all of life. So that's what we're going to be looking at today is all these practical things that Paul really is pointing out to us as to what's going on here with, with this money and with this collection and hopefully understand why all this is important. Last time we got together... We saw that Paul basically deals with two main important things when it comes to church finances. It really is very simple, very basic. 
it is number one, you need good quality people. Number two, you need, to, you need high quality accounting practices. That's it. That's the spiritual aspect of handling money, is quality people and quality accounting. You, I'm sure many of you are aware, we could all tell stories that we have read, heard, or maybe even uh, been a part of a church where these things happen, where church workers, not just, you know, it could be pastors, church secretaries, etc., they've lost their testimony because of misuse of funds. Or maybe they have just carelessly handled the Lord's money. And the key is, is that make sure we need to make sure we leave no opportunity for accusations to be made. There's all kinds of stories from churches here in Savannah. I won't name the churches, but I do know, I can tell you that a church was uh, at the direction of the pastor. You know, there, when, we, when we all get our paychecks, you know, there's still money you got to pay to the government. And there was a particular church where that money wasn't going to the government, it was going to the pastor. I don't know how you think you'd get away with that for several years, but that's what happened. And the church got, he went to prison, the church got in big trouble financially. You know, in case you were unaware of this, the government doesn't want their money. <laughs> and they're going to get it, <laughs> one way or the other. There's been, when I was, uh, when I was pastoring in Hawaii for a couple of years, when I, when I, left the church to go into uh, full-time jail ministry, the uh, treasurer of the church was this older Hawaiian lady, very sweet woman, kind of persnickety at times, but she was a very sweet woman. And so, and she was getting up in age, even though she was still very sharp, and she decided, uh, because it was a good idea, that if she came across maybe different ministries or missionaries that she thought the church would support, well, she would just start sending them money from the church. No one knew that. Uh, until they needed to do something and someone decided to check the books and they, there's a large, we've, they've really been supporting missions, <laughs> much more than they had imagined. And uh, they, uh, they ended up having, you know, they, they fired her um, and boy, she just gave them the business. You know, they, she was doing the Lord's work and, you know, <laughs> you know, they didn't call the cops, you know, because she could have gotten in trouble, but she didn't, uh, not in that way. But that kind of thing happens and it happens all the time. And some, some don't mean to do that. They, they may violate some law that they are unaware of, but there's plenty of times where there's been some misuse of funds one way or the other. And, and so, you know, we do that here. Just You may not know this, but, you know, I never count the offering. Tom doesn't count the money. I don't even look to see what's been given. I know, what, I know how much has been given. I don't look to see who gives, and I don't check the records to see how much you give. On one hand, I really don't care. Between you and God. But I don't want to know that. Because even if I thought I could I could handle it, not like, you know, I wouldn't like treat you differently because you gave more or treat you differently because you give less. You know, I guess there are some who would be tempted to do that. But if I knew what people were giving, people could see the way I treat people and make those assumptions. Well, I know why Bob's nice to so-and-so. I mean, because I know how much he gives. You know, and Bob knows how much he gives. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we are above board on all of that um, and make sure that, that that kind of thing just doesn't take place, that there's no opportunity for the accusation, much less for wrong to be done. When Paul continues in this discussion here in chapter 8, he has shifted from encouraging the contributors to a discussion of the basic principles that are related to carrying this contribution. He talks about the men who handle the collection. He emphasizes the importance of maintaining integrity to make absolutely sure that everything is above board. 
that he leaves no door open for questioning what happened to the money. At no time does Paul handle the contribution. The importance of the men who handle collections really can't be overstressed, so Paul ensures that there will be corporate accountability. In fact, he ends up describing the three guys that are going to be responsible in some detail. So there's no one single individual solely responsible for the offering. You may be unaware of this, but you know, when the, when the money is, uh, that when we collect the offering, I don't know if you noticed this, but at some point after church, the money disappears. You know, it's put away in a safe place. We never have one person do that. It's always two. Is that because we don't trust the men in the church? I do. It's just to make sure, number one, there can be no accusation. And we know in the past, you know, there have been men in, in, in all over the place where things happen, and for whatever reason, I don't want to say the temptation is too much, because I don't really believe in that phrasing, but there's opportunity, and individuals take advantage of the opportunity. And so we want to make sure that doesn't happen. That's it. It's really very simple. Uh, and, um, and so and you'd be amazed at how many churches don't do that. And it's just, I can't, I, I just, I can't believe that, um, that that actually takes place, but it still does. And so here Paul is, you can tell that this is the Apostle Paul. If anybody can be trusted, it's Paul. But it's not about trust. It is about these accusations. It is about perceived reputation as well as the actual reputation. In verses 16 and 17, Paul distanced himself from the actual gathering of the offering. Again, by doing this, he makes sure that those who are his enemies, and we know he has some because he's been addressing them and addressing their influence on the church throughout the letter. There are these individuals who've been trying to find ways, they've been making things up to discredit Paul. So he knows he has enemies. And so he wants to make sure that he's not doing anything where his enemies could accuse him of extortion. Or they, they could accuse him of putting pressure on the Corinthians by the force of his personality because he has access to the money. So he want, he's making doubly sure that they all know that is how this is being done and that's what he's doing. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. He doesn't say, well, you know, I know I got enemies and you know I can be trusted, but there's people who are going to come against me because they think I'm not trustworthy. And he doesn't go through all of that. He just states what needs to be done and how it's going to be handled. And so they can never accuse him of having his hand in the till. Titus has the same concern and care for these believers, and he's willing to be part of this project. So if you look at verse 18, it says, with him, we are sending the brother who was famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he, that's this famous preacher, has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. So there's this guy, this preacher, that all the churches praise this guy as, I guess he's just really a good preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ. So who is this famous guy? We don't know. He doesn't tell us. There's speculation. Some, some think it's Luke. Not sure why they think it's Luke. Maybe there's a few other guesses. But in the end, it doesn't really matter. We don't know who it is. But this guy was well known among all these churches. Well known for his preaching. Apparently this guy had a very good reputation. He was trustworthy. The churches, not just one church, but many of the churches, because it was kind of a joint church uh, thing here where they're raising money to, to take to the church in Jerusalem. 
they all recognize this guy, and so they want him to be a part of what's going on. And that kind of tells us the importance that, some, you know, a man's reputation can be important in many ways. And there are times that there's maybe something's going to be done, and so there's maybe a new ministry is starting, or whatever the case may happen to be, and so they're looking for an individual who has a reputation that is known by others. They want someone who's well-known because it lends credibility to what's being done. That's why, again, we want to be careful as to what we lend our name to because it does reflect on you. And you want to make sure that it's something you can be behind. I think uh, for those of us that are much older, uh, there used to be a guy in the radio named Paul Harvey. And uh, he did very, very few commercials. And when he did commercials, he only endorsed those things that he himself could attest were quality things. And as his following grew, because people trusted him, you know, he had a very distinct voice, and when, when, and when he would run a commercial sales for whatever he was, it would go way up. So he was putting his, his name and reputation. He made a lot of money doing that. In the end, toward the end, he was making millions of dollars uh, in advertising money because it works, and, and in particular because of his name. For those of you who remember Rush Limbaugh, same thing happened. Remember there was a, a point in time when there was this tea called Snapple. Just started out. He advertised it. I'll be honest. He advertised it. I tried it. It was really good. It was. It was great. And then eventually what happened was, you know, the company sold. The guy who sold the company made a lot of money. And it, went, it didn't taste so good. And I don't know if someone else bought the company or the guy bought it back, but they tried to resurrect it and advertise on Rush again. And I don't know how that went, but I do know that he made a lot of money because people listened to what he said, they trusted what he said, and that worked. So a man's reputation, would be a woman as well, but a man's reputation is important. And so here, they want to lend credibility to this whole process. And so by doing so, they pick this guy in one sense because he is famous. Because he's well-known. But not only that. It wasn't a ploy to get more money. It was really because of who he was. And he was an individual who was trustworthy and credible. And as a result, that's why they um, they lent. And so we do the same thing sometimes when it comes to books. People say, well, you know, they'll ask me, you know, have you read this book? Is it any good? And I've not read it. And so sometimes I'll say, well, who, you know, who's anyone else, anyone we know has endorsed it? And there are certain names of certain individuals who they won't just endorse any old thing. And if they're real solid and they've endorsed a book, I don't have to read the book because these guys will not endorse. Now, that number of individuals that I trust like that is very few, five or six, I guess. And not, I'm not saying there's not more than that, but that's the ones that I would know of. But I, that can be trusted. That's important. <laughs> and so we need to recognize that. So Paul recognizes that, that that this needs to be done, and it's being done, and he explains how it's being done. And, of course, this is also a preventative to his enemies who might be thinking this is an opportune time. Paul's letting all this money, you know, and, you know, sometimes people see the things they want to see, and they go, yeah, we know Paul, you know, he may be a little careless with this money, and we, you know, it's an opportunity for us to discredit him. Well, that's blown right out of the water because this guy's now coming, and this guy's going to be involved in this process, and so that can't be done. So again, whoever this guy was, he was distinguished. He was able to add credibility to the enterprise of this collection. The churches of Macedonia had chosen this famous individual. And so Paul has, is insulating himself and insulating Titus because, again, Titus 
You know, because they were so close, we could say, well, yeah, he had Titus, and we know Titus, but, you know, that's Paul's man. And whatever Paul says, Titus is going to do. So he's taking care of that by doing this. And so these charges of self-interest that could lead potentially to uh, at least accusations of mishandling the contribution are taken care of. So the appointment of this famous brother by the churches would serve as accountability and check uh, any mishandling of the resources. And there's really two things here that's important about this. One, I think, is obvious. Paul was preparing himself in advance against blame. But someone else uh, that I was reading came up with this other one that I thought really probably was very good because I think it fits in with the character of Paul. And that is Paul did not want anyone to credit him as the source of this lavish gift. He was involved with these other individuals so that it would be just, yeah, Paul this, Paul that. It, was more, it, was, it really was more of a we thing. And so that, I think that makes sense. I'm not going to be dogmatic about that, but I think that makes sense of what's going on. Then to further elaborate on that, look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And the Amplified, it says, For we take thought beforehand and aim to be honest and absolutely above suspicion, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So we do need to remember that others are watching us. There's people that are watching the churches just in general. Because the moment any church has any kind of financial difficulty, you know that the the reporters or certain individuals are quick to point that out. They're quick to point out, look look at these Christians, look at what they're doing. You can't trust this Christian organization and these types of things. There's even now an organization uh, that's out there that, that lends credibility to uh, Christian organizations, that if there's a Christian organization and, you, and you're checking them out and you're checking out their finances, uh, there's another group you can go to because they're kind of like a watchdog. And, and so they get the, the, those, church, those groups that participate, which is a good number of them, uh, they give them their fin- financial information. And then this watchdog group is watching to make sure they're handling their money right. Uh, you may not be aware of this, but sometimes in, with certain groups, when they, when they send out a letter uh, to raise funds, Sometimes what those organizations have done is they've hired a group where they are professional money raisers. And they have a professional who may or may not be a believer to write a letter. Uh, and this letter is written in such a way with all the you know, various things they've learned from psychology on how to move and manipulate people to give money to respond to this letter. And so they spend a lot of money on that. And so what you may not be aware of is that the money you send, like they'll send maybe an envelope with that letter. So the money that comes in an envelope, that company gets a share of that money. It may be up to 50%. So here you are, you th- let's say you, you go, wow, this is important. I really want to be a part of this. I know this group. And you send a thousand bucks, but they only get 500 because half of that went to that other group. Uh, and I've been in situations where I've called a few ministries before that we've supported to ask them what was going on because of a letter and the way that it was written or maybe certain claims that were being made. Uh, and uh, none of those groups had hired a big firm, but they did hire an individual. That was their job. And you know, there's nothing wrong with a well-written letter. I have no problem with that. But this manipulation and whatever, there's, there's just a problem with that uh, that I have. And, so, yeah, and, you've, and you probably are familiar with some of those tactics, you know, the idea that our doors will close if you don't give. You know, well, how are you handling all the money you've gotten before? Why are the doors closing? You know, what, what, what's behind all that kind of a thing? And so, you know, all that's really very important. And so as a result of that, 
you know, we then want to make sure we do our due diligence in the groups and missionaries and groups that we support. Uh, I have a quote, and I think I put it in your notes, because I just thought it was a good way to think about things by Warren Wiersbe. And he says this, No Christian or local church should send money to works that are not financially sound. The fact that there is a need is not reason enough for giving. There must be proof that the money is handled honestly and spent wisely. We are not obligated to pay a debt we never incurred. And that's important. And that's why normally when it comes to uh, missionaries that we are consider, considering to support, uh, there's several questions I always ask. And one of them that I always want to get is to find out what is their overhead. Now, every group has overhead. That's, you know, you've got to pay administration fees and rent for buildings. All, they can, all that's fine. But how much is it? If it's 35%, and we're probably not going to support that, no matter how great the need is. Uh, to me, that's, that's, way, that's out of line. 30% is out of line. 25% still out of line. 20% depends on where they are. You know, because costs are different in different places. There are many places that will brag and say that their overhead is 10% or less. That's good. That's really good. And so we want to make sure that we're asking those kinds of things. We want to make sure that we want to know how the money is handled. The fact they have a need, again, doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Maybe a very good thing. But we do want to make sure that we ask those questions. And so we want to make sure that as a church... We do the same thing. And so what we've done here, happened before I got here, we don't, we don't borrow money for anything. We raise the money, if we have the money, we do, we do it that way. And that's a very good way. And you know, when the, uh, there's been different times uh, in the history of our country where the economy has been challenging, and there's been several churches who've ended up having to close their doors because they are big time in debt. And that's a sad, sad case when that takes place. And so we've prevented that, at least, from happening. I mean, the government may still come and steal it from us, we, you know, but the idea of having to close the doors because of whatever uh, poor handling of money, we're not going to be in that situation. So you see, spirituality, that's being very spiritual. Having an individual who has a good reputation to make sure that everything is above board, making sure that you're following certain principles to make sure money is not only handled the right way, but there can be no accusations. That's spiritual. That is God-honoring when we do that. To ask questions before we support ministries and try to find out what's going on. That's, that's being spiritual. It's being responsible. That we are honoring the Lord when we do that. And so, again, being spiritual then is not necessarily, like I said, where you feel like you're walking on, on a cloud uh, and you're always in some kind of a mystical in tune with the Lord. It, it's, it's a lot of things that encompasses that. And this is definitely one of them. In verse 21, when he says, for we aim, or as it says in the Amplified, for we take thought beforehand, or we have regard, or we are taking this precaution. That phrasing there literally means to think before. It means to observe in advance, to notice beforehand, to plan before, or to plan carefully, or to perceive in advance. The idea is to, to look in the future and kind of make predictions about how things might look or how things might go. Most of the uses of this phrasing in, in the Greek language convey the idea of to care, to see to it that, or to make provisions for. So the idea is to think about something ahead of time, giving it careful thought and consideration with the implication that one can then respond appropriately. And so that is, again, the idea. We do that even when it comes to individuals who call the church looking for benevolent help. Once again, a bunch of questions are coming out. And the reason why was we're trying to do our due diligence. 
trying to make sure we're, we're understanding what the real situation is, and then to do our best to meet that need, whatever that need may happen to be. But again, these are practical steps that we're taking so that we can live a life individually and collectively that honor the Lord. And the way we handle our money is definitely one of those areas that we must be aware of. That is why we bring things to the congregation. You know, there's a certain amount of money that deacons can, send, can spend without seeking the congregation's approval. But we have minutes everybody can read. But there are other things that we bring to the congregation. And we, well, why do we do this? Just to keep everybody informed. It's, it's our money. We've all given it for it to be, to be used for the business of the Lord. That involves a lot of things, sometimes building, sometimes supporting missionaries. All right, but we want to make sure we're a part of this together so we can uh, be on the same page, so we, so we know what we're praying for, what we're doing, and those kinds of things. In verse 22, he says this, And with them, that's with this uh, famous preacher and Titus, and of course Paul's in that group, And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have tested and found earnest in many matters. So there's another guy they're sending. And so there's this third guy that he's sending, uh, who's, and it says here, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. So there's these three delegates. I mean, two may have been enough, but Paul, I think, correctly understood that he was more susceptible to being misrepresented in Corinth than at most other churches that he had founded. He understood that. And so he's adding another layer, adding another guy, just, just to make sure that's, that's not a bad thing. Right, we want to make sure we're handling accountability in all kinds of ways. Some of you may not remember this because you may, maybe you weren't around then, but when I ended up going to uh, Mauritius on a mission trip, I was going to be gone for five weeks. And so what I said and what I stated to the congregation is, someone needs to come with me. I don't know who it's going to be, but someone needs to come with me. I'm going to be gone for five weeks. And, and the reason why there needs to be two is accountability. Man, I'm going to a place nobody knows who I am. And it's not that I'm planning on doing anything wrong, but I don't want to show up there and just say, let's just see what happens. I just don't want that to happen. So, had an individual come along. It's a good thing he did. Because people live in different ways and people do all kinds of things. And, you know, people can be enamored with Americans sometimes. And so, you can get yourself in trouble. And so, that's why we did that. No one in the church stood up and said, well, I don't trust Bob, so we need to have somebody go with him just to make sure he doesn't do anything wrong. All right? Nobody, I'd hope, I don't think anybody was thinking that. All right? But at the same time, when, when I said that I needed someone to go with me, everybody was, yep. Nobody was saying, yep, he's a dirty dog. No, it was, they understood immediately what the principle was. And so that, and that's a very good thing. And so again, that's being spiritual. We are doing things in a way that honors the Lord and making sure that we are even preventing opportunities for accusations. So we have these added precautions by Paul. Verse 23, again, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and our boasting about you to these men. So to Paul, this really was, in a sense, we could call this a life and death matter. It was extremely important to Paul. He had gone to great extremes uh, to ensure that the Corinthians would not miss their opportunity to be involved in this project. He was demonstrating his own integrity. He was demonstrating the integrity of the process of completing the offering of the poor in Jerusalem. So the next time we have a meeting 
And let's say, I don't, you know, who knows what it could be, but let's say there's some guy in the church that says, well, I don't want to talk about the process for a minute. You know, the tendency is for some of us is to roll our eyes. Oh, gosh, here we go. Right? But you know what? God has placed that man or that woman there for a reason. Those questions need to be raised. We may not have thought of them. So we need that. The importance of, of the offering extended, extended beyond the Corinthians, really into eternity. And these aren't original with me. Nonetheless, these are valid. This giving, this, the involvement in this project would do several things. Number one, it would prove the validity of their faith. Right? Their, their, their faith, their substance to their faith. And they're, in a sense, putting their money where their mouth is. Number two, it would help the impoverished church in Jerusalem survive. Because that really was what was at stake. I mean, it was, this was not just some people who were missing a few meals. These were individuals that if the help doesn't come, they were going to starve to death. And so this was, it was obviously very important to them. Number three, it would demonstrate the miracle of the new covenant, that Jews and Gentiles are actually one in Christ. Because we have this mixture of it. This, wouldn't, this didn't go on in the world in those days. They didn't work together like this. And this was important. Now, just a real quick side note. So this is not an ecumenical movement. This is not where, where this church here in Corinth has decided to team up with the priests from the Temple of Venus so they can help the starving people in Jerusalem. That is not what's going on here. These are believers of different ethnicities, absolutely. And the world needed to see how we are one in Christ. But this is not where they're joining forces with other religious groups uh, who probably would most definitely disagree with their theology. So that's not what's going on. So there is still a separateness here, which is really very important uh, uh, being done in this way. And fourthly, it would declare the glory of the Lord to the church and to the world. So there will be those who will say, how can this be? Well, it's the Lord. How is it that you guys are doing this? Well, it's the Lord. The Lord has put it, we can say this, the Lord has put it on our hearts. The Lord has told us we should do this because it's in his word. In this way, we honor the Lord's been good to us, and so we're going to be good to others. The Lord has explained to us about suffering and that we are to alleviate suffering when it's appropriate and when we are able to do so. The, the, the Lord tells us that we're to look out for other believers, and this is what we're doing. And they get that we're speaking well of the Lord in all of this. And so that reveals the glory of the Lord uh, to the world and to other churches. It's good for churches to be able to, to be aware. It's good for us to be aware of what our church is doing. You know, we don't run around with banners and make all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if you, if you come to our meetings or you ask questions, you'll see the, the missionaries that we've supported. And you know, all these things are true about how this testimony is given. I have talked to many of our missionaries through the years. And, and sometimes uh, when they're on the field, sometimes they'll be in a situation where their support begins to wane a little bit. Sometimes maybe churches uh, that were uh, giving to them have stopped, maybe because that church is going through difficulty. Uh, maybe there's an internal squabble or, you know, it could be all different kinds of things. And one of the things that I've heard consistently, because God has enabled us to, the missionaries we support, we've been able to support them consistently through the years. We, as far as I can tell, I've gone back pretty far. We've never, we pay quarterly, we've never missed, ever. No matter what's going on in the church, no matter what's going on financially or e economically, we've never missed that. It's always been something that's very important and seen as being very important by the church. And what those missionaries have told me 
is not only that they appreciate the fact that we're sending them money, and they are, but the consistency of it. And, and what many of them say is, in the moment, it reminds them to pray for us. And what some have also said, they, it makes them feel good because they know that things are well at Ferguson. They know that because the money just continues to come. And of course, we write them and send them emails, different things, but that makes them feel like, like they have an anchor. Even if we're not the sending church, it gives, them, it gives them that sense of security. And again, glory to the Lord, because they know that that's from God. They know that God is meeting their needs through us and through other churches. And so they, 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 the, the God is glorified and magnified in all of that. And so what we need to remember is this. What we do with our money is of significance now and in the world to come. And that's both true as a church and as individuals. What we do with our money will declare whether or not salvation has come to our house. And thereby whether or not we are the sons of God. When the Corinthians did generously give, it demonstrated that the impossible had happened as wealthy Corinthians walked through the eye of a needle. For what is impossible with men is possible with God. Rich people came to know Christ, and then they gave their money to help others. That was an unusual situation. Didn't happen much in those days. In fact, even today, some people will remark, those who are very much aware of money raising and what goes on in raising money for various kinds of charities, they would tell you that a majority of the uh, sustenance of these various charities is the $20 gifts that people give. There's thousands of those. And it's not the money coming from the super rich. We hear about the super rich giving a million for this and a million for that. And that's great. No one's, you know, no one's going to say that's a bad thing. But how, the, how are they supported? I mean, you look at churches, and there's an, a number of churches that faithfully have been able to support God's work in amazing ways. Because people are just faithful. And we can thank God for that. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, when he lists these men, he says, you can trust these people. So now, show them my reason for boasting about you. So he does get back to the crux. He's all right, folks. We've crossed our T's and dotted our I's. Everything is being done above board. I've done everything I can to give you an opportunity to give sacrificially for those who are uh, starving and hungry in the churches in Jerusalem. So now it's your time to shine. So let these men know that there's a reason why I was bragging about you. <laughs> That's good old Paul. He's still a leader, and he still wants to get them to open their purses and give what he knows they can give. So when it comes to our money, we should, as, we, as you plan your budget for your family, as, as we do here for the church, we want to seek the Lord. We want to do what's right. You want to go get a new truck? Go ahead. Just make sure that you can afford it. Make sure you're not, make sure you didn't say, well, if I don't give to the church for seven months, you know, don't do that either. But at the same time, don't just, don't think somehow that if someone else gets a new truck or new house, if, oh, look at them. You know, I bet we could have supported another missionary if they hadn't. Don't do that. Just don't do that. Right? You don't know the situation. So we just continue to serve the Lord together, trusting each other, thinking what is best. It just goes a lot better that way. Uh, and if someone is misusing their funds, just let God take care of that, right? He does a much better job than we ever could. And we'll all be the happier for it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again just for the fact that we live in a place, Father, where when we look at the statistics, our country has the richest poor on the planet. 
And so there are some of us, Lord, that may not have as much as others. We know that. Some of us, Father, may never be able to go on a nice vacation, and some of us can do one every year. And those differences exist. But, Father, we all love you. We do love each other. We want to do what's right in your sight. We don't begrudge what anybody has. We don't think ill of those who don't have. And we want to help, again, those, Father, that you want us to help. And so with all of this, Father, we pray that you would give us individually and collectively great wisdom. We pray, Lord, that all of us would be generous in whatever way that means. That we would be generous to the work of God. That we would be generous to our friends and family. Know that we would trust you. Whether we have little or much, that we would trust you to supply our need. Father, we know that we live in times where the economy is just, it's, it continues to change. And it seems there's always bad news on one hand, but it does sometimes it's good news. We pray, Lord, that we would be really not so affected by that because we trust you. So, Father, we ask that as individuals and as a church, we do pray, Lord, that we will be a very good testimony to others. We do ask, Lord, that we will be an encouragement to others. Not, Lord, that, that we can brag about ourselves. That would just be wrong on so many levels. But, Father, that people will be enamored with what the Lord does with his people, what the Lord does with his church what the Lord does with individuals. We pray that people would see the great joy and the freedom that we have because we're able to use the finances you give us as a tool and not something that we necessarily cherish. I do pray, Father, for those here this morning who don't know Christ because, Father, I guess if they don't know you, all they have left is money and the things that money can buy. And we know, Lord, that will, in the end, not really ever satisfy them. Pray, Lord, that you would convict them of their separation from you. They would recognize that they're sinners and they need Christ. We pray, Lord, they would come to you and they would repent of their sin and believe in Christ. Father, we pray that you would help all of us to remain faithful to you in every aspect of our life and encourage each other to do the same. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.